anniversaries here in August, and uh, we started really giving faithfully uh, before we got married, and God has never failed us. Can I tell you that this morning? And uh, I love the idea that I get to bring back 10% of the first fruits that he has given me and entrusted to me. And I just want to challenge you this morning to give out of obedience and uh, give your tithe out of obedience and your offering is above and beyond that and watch him bless you beyond measure. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we lift up this gift, this, this offering to you, and we ask you to bless it, multiply it, uh, so that more might know you, and we can put it to work for the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I am so excited to have the chance to speak this morning. It's always a privilege. Um, pastor asked me a few months ago if I'd be willing to speak, and, and I said, that's like asking a quarterback if he wants the ball. I mean, I, I just really love... Um, uh, speaking, and I'm a Pentecostal pastor at heart, and, you know, pastor and I uh, love to have dialogue about preaching from time to time, and, um, you know, we both agree that it's easy to stand up here and speak for an hour. It's really hard to say something intelligent in 20 or 30 minutes, so um, I think we've got something honed down for, for the Lord to speak to us through this morning, and we're just looking forward to that. I want to pause for just a minute and tell you how grateful I am to have the privilege to serve on a staff with Pastor Gary and with uh, Sister Carol. We have some of the greatest leadership in the state of Iowa. And uh, amen. Um, listen, I have watched that man weather storms. And uh, I just, it's an honor to bear arms next to him and to, to undergird his leadership and to support the vision that God's put in his heart. I can tell you as a staff member here at Berean, there are some exciting things that coming up. There are some exciting things on the docket. And how many of you enjoyed July Fun Days? It's a good time, wasn't it? Amen? Amen. So be looking forward to that. Pray for Traveling Mercies. Uh, they'll be heading home Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the uh, Pastor Justin and his team and the kids are on their way back. And uh, the, the two long days down there isn't that bad because you're so excited, but when you're you're spent and you're exhausted and you've left it all on the court and uh, the trip back home gets exponentially longer so they could use our prayers. And, uh, but I think it's going really well. I talked to Justin this morning and things are going really well. So I want to I take a minute this morning and, and ask you have, you, have you ever heard a phrase that just didn't make sense uh, once you took the time to really process what it was saying. You know, I, I know that a lot of us use oxymorons. Our culture seems to be built around oxymorons. And I want to share a few of those with you. Um, we hear oxymorons all the time, like jumbo shrimp. Or um, how about plastic silverware? Military intelligence. Right now, this is a big one close to my heart, and we can't dialogue about this, but political correctness is a uh, somewhat of a oxymoron that we see thrown around a lot right now. This really isn't what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to are more of the, uh, the motivational one-liners that you hear are just, just peppered in the uh, social media platforms and um, the words or statements that are designed to encourage you. But when you really pause to analyze them, they just don't hold water. They just, some of them just don't make sense. So let me give you an example of a few of those. Uh, sometimes later becomes never. Do it now. L later really never becomes never. I, I don't know. I, I know what they're trying to say, but that just doesn't quite make sense if you process it. How about this one? 
Only dead fish go with the flow. Now, as an avid fisherman, I can tell you that millions of fish have ran from my lure going downstream. Okay? So that doesn't always hold water. Um, Your only limitation is you. No, gravity's difficult sometimes. I was telling a friend this morning, I weigh less today than I weighed my junior year of high school. But it sure looks different. It's It's just repositioned differently. And the older I get, the worse that affects me. So... Your only limitation is, that's not, that's not true. That's, uh, that's just not accurate. How about this one? If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. No. No, I get what you're trying to say, but that's just not accurate. How about this one? Failure is the school of success. Now, that one maybe I could buy into, but I don't know. I, we're going to watch a quick video, and then we'll decide whether or not that's accurate. Failure is the school of success. Check this out. There's just something really wrong about that. I don't know what to I gotta, tell you. I gotta get this. Very good. Got some wood so failure man. is the school of success. How many times did he practice to get that right? How many fails did he have? And whose house did he practice at? Is there anyone in this room that's accomplished uh, tree fellers? Is there anyone good at that? A couple of you. How many of you that are accomplished at that would try that? I mean, I would try it at your house, maybe. I don't know. But no, I, I thought that was one of the coolest things. But failure is a school of success. I can't imagine how many times that guy got that wrong or if he's ever tried it before. So, so sometimes these things just don't make sense. You know what I mean? In fact, here's another one that has produced a lot of dialogue in my life over the last few weeks. And it's this. God doesn't help those who don't help themselves. Is that true? Let's dive into this for just a little bit. As I mentioned this week, I found myself in a healthy dialogue about this statement. And because the first question was, is this statement in the Bible? And it's not. So I did some research to find the uh, etymology of this phrase. And it's believed to be originally coined by an English political theorist by the name of Algernon Sidney. But it was popularized by Benjamin Franklin in his Port Richard's Almanac about 1736. There were some, as I researched this, that believe that it dates way back to, to the Roman era. Uh, but I really couldn't substantiate that uh, as a fact. But it's, it's simply more of a phrase that, that people had come up with. It's not a scriptural phrase. But that doesn't mean that it's not true. It doesn't mean that it is true, Right? You know, when I teach at the Iowa School of Ministry, I have the chance to teach three different uh, ISOM classes, and I take a milk crate with me, and I, I, that's my soapbox. And when, I, when I'm sharing my opinion on the topic, I always stand on the soapbox because as I'm training ministers and spiritual leaders, I want them to be 
be sure that they're very clear when they communicate the difference between the sovereignty of God's word and their, their righteous opinion, right? And I want you to know, I have an opinion of a lot of things, but that doesn't have authority in your life. This does. Amen? So let's, let's dive into this a little bit together. Um, and, and take a look at this. First of all, Isaiah 25.4 says that God has been a defense for the helpless or a refuge for the needy. Now, I, don't th- I love that scripture, but I don't think it justifies the statement that God doesn't help those who don't help themselves uh, because it, it doesn't say can't help themselves. It says they don't help themselves. And I think there's a significant difference there. Maybe this one to help us, Romans 5, 6 says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Amazing statement. A statement filled with hope and truth. A foundational part of our doctrine of salvation. But I don't think it hermeneutically supports or justifies the statement that God doesn't help those who don't help themselves. So I'm entering this dialogue with this individual. Amazing young lady growing growing in the Lord. And see, when when we talk about this sin question and how we are reconciled to Christ, we find ourselves in need of a Savior. But it still doesn't support the intent of the writer of this coined phrase. The internet has lots of pastoral commentary on this phrase. As I was doing my research, I saw, I don't know, 20 or 30 different sermons that were written about this phrase. And and it's interesting because all of them were were driven around or or built through the, the lens of emotion rather than truth. You see, here's what I know. Emotions devoid of truth does not get us to the cross. Emotions devoid of truth does not get us to the cross. No, God has given you your emotions. I'm thankful for the emotions that I have. I was talking with a young man just a little bit ago that did the Myers-Briggs test, and uh, he said, I'm like 17% thinker and the rest feeler. I said, that's exactly how I am. I don't see color. I feel color. How many of you are extroverts and know what I'm saying? How many of you are introverts and just think I'm weird? I have a friend that's an extreme introvert. I mean, he could literally spend days in a room if there was a bathroom and water. He'd just be fine. He's just wired that way, and I'm thankful for him. But he had a shirt that says, introverts unite alone in our own room. And so God built us different. But I'm thankful for our emotions. But we can't live off our emotions. We can't make life-altering decisions off of our emotions. Right? I've done that. It doesn't work. But I'm grateful because my love comes from my emotions. I love my wife. We'll celebrate 28 years of marriage this year. And I love her. I love her more today than I did then. And that love continues to grow. And I'm convinced that it's, it's vice versa. I'm convinced she loves me more today than she did 20 years ago. And uh, if, if not, don't tell me, but I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. So emotions devoid of truth does not get us to the cross. Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up a child in the ways of the Lord and when it is older will not depart from it. That's why it tells us that. That we, we hide that word in their heart. And when they're old, they won't. Depart from it, because I can tell you that high school and junior high is a cesspool of emotions. I've been there, got the shirt. 
But if we're grounded in truth, if we make our decisions or, or build our decision-making paradigm off of facts and off of truth, it causes us to ground our emotions and not, not allow them to be a runaway train. We have a saying here at the Berean staff, you, you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped, but we try to help everybody. I have an evangelist friend I admire that always used to say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But he would go on to say, but a good evangelist knows how to put salt on the oats. We're going to do everything we can to help everybody. But sometimes we just have to allow people to get to that place, to get to the bottom of the barrel. Have you ever been there? Or when you're laying on your back, helpless in the pig pen, and the only way to look is up? That's actually a beautiful moment. You know, I've, I've learned as I've become more mature in my faith and in the process of salvation that when I'm presenting the gospel to somebody, I, I try to really accurately measure where they stand before God. And sometimes it's not time to offer that salvation. Sometimes it's, it's time to show them uh, the, the word that confronts them, it says that it's the schoolmaster that brings them to repentance. Sometimes we can skip a, a step and, and find a false sense of salvation that's driven around emotion and they haven't had time to merit in the, in the truth of their desperate state without God. So we need our emotions to be grounded, grounded in truth. Now, just after this simple dialogue, there's a few things that I know for sure. Um, I have searched and I cannot find a single biblical text or a simple example where someone reached to God that he did not reach back. Number two, we serve a big God and he is the solution for every problem you have. And number three, as believers, we have access to the throne of heaven. I want to take the next few minutes and I want to look at a text that I believe that is going to help us understand this. But before we do, I'd like to ask you to pray with me. Lord, I'm asking you that, um, that you would just continue to be great in this moment. Lord, you have prepared our hearts. We have entered into worship together. We have sought your face together. And we have uh, asked you to uh, just be present in this place. But Lord, as we dive deeper into your word right now and we continue our heart of worship, I pray that you would... Uh, show up in the hearts of your people and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles or your digital devices and you want to turn with me in the text, it's found in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, starting in uh, verse 1. Luke 19, verse 1. It says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I had cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. Now, many of you probably first heard the story of Zacchaeus in Sunday school class, and we sung the little song. Most of it was out of key. Um, but it had a real neat rhyme that he was a wee little man, and he climbed up a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as you can tell, I'm not singing it. I'm just saying it because it would still be out of key. Um, but that's a, one of the few uh, Sunday school songs that I remember as a kid. And it means a lot to me because uh, this man was climbing a tree. And that's just intriguing to me. Here I am, 48 years old, and I'm still intrigued by the notion of climbing a tree to see Jesus. And I believe there's, there's some facts in this text that we can pull out to really try to understand how God interacts with his people. So let's go on a little bit of a journey this morning. The first principle is that Zacchaeus knew about Jesus, but he really didn't know Jesus. There's a significant difference. Verse 3 says that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. The reputation of Jesus was spreading, and Zacchaeus had a supernatural inclination to know more. We call that the Holy Spirit. He had minimal head knowledge, but no heart knowledge of Jesus. And I believe that this is significant. This is a significant issue in the modern day church. There is a lot of head knowledge, but there is a drifting away from the heart knowledge. But you know what? Before we can fix something, we must be willing to humble ourselves and admit that something is wrong. Now, without a lot of time to dive into this, I want to take a minute and just, just help make, make this a little more clear. And we can see in 2 Thessalonians 2 that it talks about this great falling away when the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Also in Mark 7, we see Jesus quotes Isaiah by saying that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In order for us to be the faithful bride of Christ... In order for us to, to work to push back this, this falling away, we must be a people that are dedicated to prayer and to the Word of God. The Word of God becomes the rudder in the storms of life. It becomes a guiding light. It becomes our anchor and our hope. Jesus is the Word that became flesh. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the redemption. He is the beginning and the end. He is our everything, and nothing on earth can take that away from us. And we need to return to becoming a praying people once again. We need to thirst again for the word of God in our lives and live our, live our lives on behalf of our listeners. Can I tell you that people are watching us? And it's important that we're, 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 we're invested in the word of God because that, that tends to demonstrate itself on the outside of us. On that note, I want to invite all of you. Tonight's a great night to just, you know, renew that passion for prayer. You know, it's something in my life, it's a discipline sometimes rather than a passion. But as I respond in dis discipline, a passion begins to grow. Uh, we are picking back up uh, the prayer service at 530 tonight. Uh, we, we had that off for the month of July. We're picking that back up tonight. Pastor Matthew has a great message uh, ready to go for tonight. We're looking for that. I just want to personally invite you to come and be a part of that. It's a real simple format. We have 20 minutes of worship, 20 minutes of the word, and 20 minutes of prayer together. And we have seen some powerful moments of God moving in that setting. I just personally uh, invite you to come to that and be a part of it. I think God's going to do things in our midst. 
All revivals of the modern day church started in a prayer meeting. Hope to see you there. So the first point is, is that Zacchaeus knew of God, but he didn't really know Jesus. He knew of Jesus, but he didn't know him. The second one is that Zacchaeus saw Jesus. It says in verse 4 that Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowd, climbed up in the sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was headed that way. A change in your perspective changes what you see. There's some things we can know about Zacchaeus. Number one, he was a tax collector. Number two, his career choice notes that he was a person that was viewed as crooked and unliked in the community. We can also know that he was short. Okay, My dad always called me the height of an average Jew. I don't know what that means. We can also safely take away that he was an adult due to his job and the stature in the community. Now, I want to take just a quick poll. Those of you that are over 40, how many of you have climbed a tree in the last year? Two, two, three, four. Okay, very good. Not many. Five. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, for you to convince me to get this to climb a tree, it's going to have to be a pretty significant deal. It's going to have to be pretty significant. But for some reason, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit challenged Zacchaeus to do the abnormal, and he responded. There's two things we can take away from that. Number one, he listened. He felt a heart tug, and he did not dismiss the voice of the Spirit in his life. And number two, he responded. He was willing to go beyond his routine to get different results. And if you're here this morning and you feel as though you are in a rut, you need to reposition yourself so that you can see the Holy Spirit working in your circumstances. Zacchaeus climbed a tree, and he saw Jesus. There's something significant that we need to grab a hold of that. But our third point is this. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know about you, friends. That gets me excited. What does that mean? Verse 5 says, when Jesus came to the spot that he looked up. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus sees our mess? In spite of our imperfections, in spite of our present circumstances, we have the favor of God. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have God's favor. If you have asked Jesus to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. If you repented and turned from your wicked ways and turned to God, Acts 3, 19. If you've done those things, you have the favor of God. I don't care what you feel. This is a fact. I don't know about you, but I spend an inordinate amount of time uh, stopping the race that's running around in my head that tries to convince me that I can't, I'm not good enough or I'm not strong enough, or, and in some cases I'm not. But the sovereign God of the universe placed the mantle in my hand to do what he's called me to do. And those he has called, he will equip. And I have the favor of God in my life, and so do you. Jesus saw Zacchaeus. 2 Corinthians 1.21 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He has anointed us. He set a seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He has anointed us. He has anointed us. He has anointed us. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look pretty anointed this morning. 
look back at them and say, I get that a lot. Number four, Zacchaeus had opposers. He had opposition. Let me, let me just get this out. You will always have opposition if you're doing something great for the kingdom. I promise you. Don't allow opposition a place of significance in your mind. Listen to me closely. Remain a servant. Be slow to decision, slow to anger, quick to listen, quick to forgive, full of grace, full of compassion, and ignore opposition. Stay focused on your Savior. The mission of an opposer is to get your eyes off of Jesus. If I can convince you to change your position, I can get you to abandon your mission. That's how he operates. That's what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to get you so distracted that you never experience the tomorrow God has for you. Don't let anybody cause you to take your eyes off of Jesus. Let me explain this for just a second. I have two amazing daughters. They're here. They're embarrassed right now. It just happened. And as a, as a father, when they were young, I, I can explain to you countless times where we would be walking into a situation, whether it was at a mall or a large crowd or a park or whatever it was, and, and things would become less familiar and more nerving, unnerving for them. And they would always walk over and they'd grab my hand and they'd look up, up at me. And they'd look me in the eyes. And they knew if they could see my eyes, if they could just, if dad would just look at them, it was just going to be okay. In fact, I remember when uh, my daughter Liz was playing basketball in grade school. Um, she would make a shot or she would be thinking about taking a shot and she would just glance up in the stand to, to see if I was there. And she was just looking for affirmation. And my daughter Hannah was a golfer. And, and Hannah would look at me for two reasons. One, if she, she made a great shot, she would look at me across the fairway just so that I could celebrate that with her. But if she made a bad shot, she would look at me. She, if she could just look in my eyes and get some affirmation from me, it, it, just, it just tended to help. How much greater is our Heavenly Father? How much greater is it to just pause for just a moment and, and, and find yourself in a place where you have the chance to seek His face and see Him face to face and get a hold of the throne room? I, I know this, that when I can pause and, and realize that Jesus sees me, everything seems to get better. If you can see Jesus, you will always be able to see him looking at you, and you will always know that the favor of God is in your life. Hebrews 12.2 says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And number five, Zacchaeus found himself lacking in the presence of the Savior. And we see this in verse eight. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here, now, here I am, uh, and I now give half of my, if I've done any wrong, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'll respond and give them four times what I, what I wrong them by. When you respond in the presence of Jesus, it produces righteousness. Zacchaeus looked into the eyes of Jesus and began to reconcile his shortcomings. When you've been in the presence of Jesus, you will want to make everything right. I, I want things to be right with my wife. We, we're, we're kind of on a fast-paced life right now, and we, we bought a house, we sold a house, we had a kid in college, and, you know, just a lot going on, exciting time. But from time to time, I'll just grab her and say, are we good? She'll say that to me, yeah, we're good. 
just, I just want that. I want to keep short accounts. I want to keep that relationship right. And I want to do the same thing even more with my Savior. I want to make sure, Lord, are we good? I want to give him the chance to look in my eyes and speak into my situation and say, you might want to try this. I want to give him the chance to speak in my life. Pastor Nathan's making his way up. I want to try to recap this real quick for you. Zacchaeus experienced Jesus and became a believer that day. And here's what we can know from this text. First of all, if you're a Christ follower, it means that Jesus has come to your house. He has anointed us. This is a fact. You just need to believe it. Number two, neither status nor talents nor influence matters when it comes to salvation. God's favor in your life as a believer is in spite of you. And we should be glad about that. And number three, a minor change in your position can help you see your circumstances through a different lens. When I stay close to my Savior, it's easy to hear his voice. It's easier to see his will. And it's easier to know without a shadow of a doubt that I have his favor. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In the next few moments, I'm going to ask you to listen to me closely. I'm going to ask a few of the board members, and I've asked Pastor Larry and Sharon to come up here to stand up the front. If you'll just make your way up now. We're going to take about 10 minutes, and we're just going to be a little bit old-fashioned for just a minute, if you don't mind. Because here's what I know. Confessing our sins does two things. First of all, it removes the enemy's authority in your life. Confessing your sins removes the enemy's authority in your life. And number two, it positions you to see Jesus. You know, believers sin. If you don't know that, ask your wife, amen. We sin, we make mistakes, it's okay. But when we confess them, it takes the authority out of that sin. The Bible tells us to do it. It also repositions us so we can see his eyes again. I don't think God helps those who don't help themselves, but I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus always helps those who seek his face. I'm 100% convinced of that. So I'm making this declaration to you this morning. This is a safe place. In a moment, we're going to open these altars, and if you've just got something that's weighing you down, don't be too proud to not come up. Get with one of these amazing leaders and just, just talk it through with them. Let it go. Put it at the feet of the Savior and let him carry your burden. And look up and see him in the eyes. Lastly, I'm reminded of a story in Exodus 33. Moses has gone up a mountain. And he said, Lord, don't send me if your spirit doesn't go before me. And he had this amazing dialogue with God. 
And at the end of that conversation, he said, Lord, would you show me your glory? I, I just, I just need to see your face. I just, I just need to see a glimpse of you. I just, I don't want to come weary and well-doing, but I'm, I'm on that edge. I just, sometimes I feel like giving up, but I know if I could just see your face that everything would be better. Every time I've reached out to God in moments of trial and struggle or just, just wanting to grow closer to Him, He has always met me there. He has always showed up and spoke to my heart. And that same God is here this morning. If you came into this building heavy, don't leave heavy. Lay your weighty burdens at the cross. Come up here to these people and, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll keep it confidential. They're going to walk through this with you, okay? I've asked Pastor Nathan to play. and Would you just come? Is there anyone right now? Is there anyone that's just heavy laden and you just need to come up and just, just let it go. Just Maybe there's a struggle in your life that you just need help wrestling with. You just need help working through the situation. You need to get with a, a brother or sister in Christ and reconcile that. Is there anyone else? Don't wait. Don't wait. Jesus is here. I'm so thankful that Jesus saved me. I'm so thankful that we have the great hope. This is a safe place. The Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts. Is there anyone else?